I'm Evelyn, and I'm a geoholic. Great song, but I got to be honest with you, I got nothing. Sugar, this is more your speed, I believe. Uh, it is definitely my speed. Definitely your speed. It's kind of kind of REM-ish, you know, from my generation, I guess. Is this like the new REM? Uh, I wouldn't, I would say it's of that same kind of uh, vibe. Yeah. Uh, but much more, much more cerebral, like a lot more, I, I don't know, I just... Cerebral, you lost me right there. Yeah, yeah, clearly. <laughs> Welcome back, G-Holics, and thank you so much for listening to this being episode 133. Okay, I have to recognize someone. All technical challenges aside, last week's show was awesome. Kudos to COG, who is here with us this week from an undisclosed location for the amazing editing. And trust me when I say he knocked it out of the park. So COG, thank you so much for that. Yeah, you're welcome. Where are you at, by the way? Boondocks of uh, Medford, Oregon. I'm actually in a small place called Gold Hill outside of Rogue River. All right. Good to know. Good to know. All right. So we have to come up with something for a huge looming milestone, and I'm hoping to get some input on this. So we are currently at plus or minus 80, 85,000 downloads, I think. But um, it may be a reach, but if we can somehow eclipse 100,000 downloads by the end of the year, there's got to be a celebration of some sort. So any thoughts on that? Sugar, you got anything? I, th- I think we just need to have a uh, a remote location special episode party? broadcast party. Invite but everybody. It's be invite everybody uh, as as much in, in, much involvement as we possibly can. So, but, so, so you don't like everybody gets the Geoholics tattoo. You like that one? Yeah, I mean, when I said remote, I meant at, like at a bar, not at a tattoo place. But oh, okay. I was thinking tattoos and uh, 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 mohawks. Uh, deal is, uh, I'll, a tattoo comes at a million. How about that? Oh, jeez. Oh, oh, I right. like that idea, though. He's... Listeners, like having the listeners involved. Yes. Well, I'll have to figure something like out for sure. So if anybody... Listener episode. If anybody's listening has any ideas, please send them to us at info at the Love to hear any suggestions you have. So, uh, all right. Um, I... KG, a.k.a. Double D, of course, I'm your pilot for the week. Uh, producer, Sugar, is my co-pilot, and COG is managing the cabin and making sure everybody gets their peanuts and trail mix. Correct. Yes. How are you doing, Sugar? Uh, man, I, I could not be, I could not possibly be better. Um, I actually did start up a new, not new, but mm. uh, new for a while. I started playing squash again. I have never, I've played a lot of racquetball, but I've never played squash. It's a yeah. different racket. It's, it's a, a different, different racket. It's a different ball. It's a different court. Hmm, uh, it's a different it's court. A, yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's, a, there's a red line at the top, and there's some little different rules, and it's a whole lot of fun. Got my buddy Mitch involved. We're playing again tomorrow night. So let me ask you this. Is the action as fast or faster than racquetball? It is. The, the ball is deader. So it the ball doesn't go as fast, but okay. it also doesn't bounce as much. So okay. the action's faster because you got to run a lot faster. Oh. So it's a better workout for you know an old tubby guy like me. Okay, all right, really, really that's good, that's awesome. How about you, CLG? Anything new? I mean, I know you've uh, been in the process of making a huge transition. Where are you at on that? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's been going well. I mean, I leave. Well, I'll be editing the episode. This episode release in Kirkland, Washington. So I'll be officially moved when this episode drops this weekend, um, and then. I've just been hanging out in Southern Oregon, fishing 
doing a little hunting, nice. doing a little ATVing, off-roading. I've, ha- I've caught a couple ticks on me, uh, one in bed on my neck. So it's a it's a fun time. It's an enjoyable time. I, I like this lifestyle a little bit, but <laughs> is, I don't is, think it's Is that a... your first tick? No, it's not my first tick. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, it's not my first tick. <laughs> hey, you got to watch out for that Lyme disease. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a real thing. It'll, it's a jump, real thing. it'll jump up and bite you. Uh, yeah. Uh, good, man. Good yeah, to hear so, it. So, no, it's good. It's good. What's going on with you, Kent? How, I haven't seen... I, I miss your smiling face every day uh, in the yeah, office. I know. I know. I... I I'm having uh, withdrawals. There's no doubt about it. I've, I've I went through my state of depression, and uh, I've overcome that thanks to the medication. But uh, everything everything's good. I got I got no complaints. Got no complaints except for that song. I'm not a huge Decemberist fan. Uh, so COG, tell us about the Decemberists. Oh boy, here goes reading his heart again. So the Decemberists down by the water. They're an American indie rock band from Portland, Oregon. So just north of where I am. Uh, the band consists of Colin Malloy, Chris Funk, Jenny Conley, Nate Query, which we looked up how to pronounce that, uh, and John Mion, Moen. Moen. I don't. I have no idea. We we couldn't. I couldn't figure that one out until we started. Um, in addition to their lyrics, which often focus on historical incidences or folk 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 lords. Wow, oh, this is Lord. really tough when I'm. Uh, you know, up in this uh, uh, Oregon air. Don't blame it um, on the air. It's not the air. Don't blame it on the air. It's just <laughs> Connor's readings hard. Uh, the Decemberists are also well known for their electric live shows. Audience participation is part of each performance, typically during encores. The band stages um, whimsical reenactments of sea battles and other centuries-old events, typically of regional interest or acts out songs with members of the crowd. In addition, in 2011 the track down by the water was nominated for best rock song at the 54th grammy awards okay it says nominated what it didn't win it was nominated nominated yeah so I, nominated. That, that, so what is like have, have either of you sean or our mystery guest seen uh the december's live i have yeah is it a good experience it was fantastic yeah it, they're, I mean, they're great live they sound great i'm sure they sound great i'm sure yeah, it's amazing it's on my list it's on your list. I would absolutely love to see a show there. So it's just, to me, again, you know, I'm like a five-year-old, uh, a band focusing on historical incidents and folklore and, like, whimsical sea battles. It just, I don't I mean, know. It maybe it's just weird, not for you, man. but, you know. That's fine. Teach his own. Yeah. Right? Yeah, remember, a five-year-old. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'll stick with the black moods. All right. Diamondback Landsurveying Studio. Great to be back in the DBLS studio. As always, if you're not following Diamondback Landsurveying on Facebook and Instagram, you absolutely need to. They have definitely stepped up their social media game recently and have the, the, the content that they're posting is incredible. So, you know, what's really crazy. We may have a bidding war for the naming rights of the studio next year. It could get really interesting. Ooh, do we really? Uh, <laughs> Yes. I've had a number of people reach out and like, how do I get naming rights to the studio? Like, we'll talk. But the problem is you got to outbid Trent Keenan. That's probably not going to happen. So yeah, he'll, he'll just do it based on principle alone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Shout out to this week's highlighted friends of the program, friend of the program. Sorry. Uh, Sugar, who you got? Uh, this week's shout out of the friend of the program is coincidentally Diamondback Land Surveying. Double dipping. Diamondback Ooh. Land Surveying provides complete surveying, mapping, and construction staking solutions for residential, commercial, and public works projects. DBLS is a firm made up of highly skilled professional land surveyors with over 200 years of experience in public land survey system and construction surveying. Their surveys teams take great pride in 
being professional in all aspects of their work and emphasize on on-time service that maintains an excellent reputation in the construction and development communities by consistently providing top-notch services to our clients. www.diamondbacksurveying.com. They are dedicated to building and maintaining an excellent reputation. Absolute pro right there. Way to go. Yeah. What a and great company, too. Well done. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great company. Great, great, great company. They do work all over the Southwest. So if anybody has any survey, uh, mapping, drone, scanning needs, uh, be sure to reach out to Diamondback Land Surveying. Um, okay, with that, let's move on to the Liquid Death's Weekly Words of Wisdom. Obviously, we're paying bills here. So I'm a big Jordan B. Peterson fan. This is a great quote. Do not pretend you are happy with something if you are not. Have the damn fight. Unpleasant as it might be in the moment, it is one less straw on the camel's back. You guys like that? I uh, can't say that's my favorite. Basically, but, uh, don't, let things, don't let things fester. You know, sure. yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't yeah. do anybody any good to let things faster. You just gotta, you just gotta rip the bandaid off, as my wife says. Mm. I do like ripping the bandaid off. You do like ripping oh, the bandaid off. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, exactly. You, yeah, one of your passions it makes you feel alive. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it does. I love it. All right, let's move on. Uh, our guest this evening, we have uh, Michael Galen with us. A little bit about Michael. He was born in Phoenix and actually grew up here. Not a whole lot of. Phoenicians in the area, you know, I mean, it's like everybody I meet, most people I meet, not everybody, most people I meet are not from here. So he has that going for him. He has, he attended ASU for his undergraduate. He also attended Cardozo, mm-hmm. Cardozo Law yep. School for, uh, for his law degree. And where is Cardozo? It's in New York City. New York City. Uh, he enjoys spending time with his kids, hiking, camping, running, traveling. He obviously likes the outdoors. He's an attorney at Dorsey and Whitney, uh, specializes in corporate restructuring, commercial bankruptcy, and creditors' rights. Uh, one of the highlights of his career is clerking for a federal bankruptcy judge, I believe. And his passions include, I'm going to butcher this, Tottenham Hotspur. Yep, it's a soccer oh, team. Oh, Spurs fan. Here yeah. we go. <laughs> we're, we're Huge Spurs fan right here. Oh, Huge really? Oh, okay. yeah. There here you go. Up top, up top. Oh, my Who, who is the best player on the Spurs? Can, can, you, can you name it? He's no longer there, but can you name that person? On the Spurs. He uh, totally David. still is there, so I don't know what you're talking about, Connor. Oh, wait, wait, uh, is he back there? If you're talking about Garrett Bale, that was a while yeah. ago. He yes. came back briefly. but uh, That was a long time ago. Yeah, well. I have no clue. Saying. I have no clue. I know Pele. Is yeah, he still playing? He's not. No. He's not playing. <laughs> That's all I know about soccer, <laughs> to be honest with you. Connor, clearly the best spur is Harry Kane. Yes. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, oh, sounds like we can have a debate here, but let's move on. To uh, First of all, welcome to the Geoholics, Michael. Thank, thank you for being you. here. Thank you for having me. We Great appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Uh, looking forward to this conversation. Um, but before we get to the conversation, let's embark on the Trimble Pro Point Icebreaker. This week's question is, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Uh, best piece of advice I've ever been given is that... Uh, can't take it with you. So no matter how successful you mm. are, work really hard, spend all your time working, can't take it with you at the end of the day. I so love you've got to enjoy stuff that's really important, friends, family. Can't argue all with that it. stuff. Yep. Completely agree with that. Uh, Sugar, you got anything on this one? Uh, I do. Uh, by far, best piece of advice my dad told me, get the fuck over it. Oh, that's golden. Uh, COG, what you got? 
Yeah, best piece of advice I got was from a former boss of mine, and it was be empathetic and treat others like they're trying their best. Mm, something I struggle with. I'm not the most empathetic person. I try really hard, and I feel like I'm good at it sometimes, but uh, in most cases, it's something I definitely need to improve on. Mine, my told me that. <laughs> Who, my ex-wife? Yeah, that's been noted multiple times. Did you say my ex-wife told you that? <laughs> no, that's why the, my my mentor told me that. So oh, oh gotcha, gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Oh, I thought you said you, I thought you said your ex-wife told me that. Um, so here's mine. Mine is uh, uh, again. I'm a five year old. Dwight Schrute from The Office. Don't do dumb things. There you go. Boom. Mic drop. You do take advice from The Office. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, perfect. All right, let's move on with this. So having Michael here, we've got to tap into all his knowledge and expertise and uh, um, his, all his, his, his attorney smartness. So we have, uh, we, have, we have to, first of all, set the stage. Because last week I didn't set the stage, and Sugar got on me. He's like, hold on, before you get into this, set the stage. So yes. our listenership, let's call it, I don't know if that's a word or not, but we have folks that um, provide professional services mainly, and uh, you know they either it could be a one person company you know a guy working for himself out of a, out of his house up to you know a guy working for a 25,000 person firm so it's the gambit of individuals and we also have a lot of people that are at this point in their career considering starting their own business, you know, going in business for themselves. It's happening a lot here because the demand for surveyors is through the roof, of course, and there's a massive shortage. So people are like, screw this. I'm not going to work for anybody else. I can make just as much money or more doing my own thing. So let's start out with that. You know, somebody who is in that position thinking about starting their own business. What's, what are some things that they need to think about right out of the right out of the gate. Cause like my, my think is, it's like, you know, there's different ways to structure a business. You know, there's partnership, LLC, blah, 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 blah. Let's start with that. I mean, what are some things that people need to take in consideration when making that decision? Yeah. So I think when you're talking about how you want your entity set up, mm -hmm. how you want your business set up, you know, you really be considering a few things. Uh, I think the first one is liability, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to think about something were to go wrong, if I, if, you know, I get sued, really my company gets sued, you know, who's liable. And so there's a lot of entity structures that can help you protect against that. Um, and then there's some that can be good for other things, but don't provide liability protection. And so, uh, you know, I think about really at a high level, mm -hmm. um, there are, you know, a few options, right? You just be, just be a sole proprietor. So basically you're just being your, as yourself, providing services, basically no entity. You can be in a partnership with you have somebody else with you doing it, an LLC, uh, limited liability company, or a corporation. Those are basically what you're going to be choosing from. And then within those, there are some other, you know, options. But Let me ask a really dumb question right out of the gate. Um, so if you're a sole proprietor, do you, like, do you have options there? Like, do you just use your own social security number as your business, uh, you know, ID number, or do you, should you apply for a different FEIN? So you're, uh, uh, even one step back. Yeah. What, what is an FEIN? Oh, well, we'll let the expert tell us. <laughs> so, okay. So I, another consideration, just before I answer, let me just say another cons big consideration when choosing your entity is tax treatment. Mm. Okay. And how you want to like file your taxes and stuff. Um, and my like first piece of advice on that is always go see 
an accountant or yep. a tax lawyer, right? Because I'm not like going to structure your taxes for you. Basically. Sure. Yep. Um, generally, a sole proprietor does not have to do business as themselves. They can have a DBA, mm. right? And mm. so you register as like doing business as, right? So you can have like a company name that you're doing business as, but you are, there's no entity really. Mm-hmm. It's just yourself. Is that the way you would recommend somebody go? It's not. Um, it, there, there are other options that are provide better liability protection. Uh, if you, you know, and they're easy too, right? Like you can just set up an LLC very easily, operate out of that. Sure. And tax treatment is also easy. Just can you know flow through onto your tax return basically, and yeah, you know, so I, liability I, protection. On that note, and I, I'm going to play devil's advocate a lot that type thing, and. Um, so, you know, somebody who's, who's just starting out and considering doing exactly what we're talking about and they, uh, they're like, oh, I'll just go on LegalZoom and set up my LLC or whatever. Um, is that cool? I, or, I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that? Obviously, you work for a respectable firm, but what are your, what are your thoughts on uh, somebody, in the, you know, in that position making that decision? You can do that. And it is not hard to just start an LLC mm-hmm. under whatever state you're in, whatever the rules are. You pay a fee. You just file the paperwork uh, with the state and you, you have an LLC. <clears throat> you know, a lawyer can do that for you too. Um, but what you're going to want to do then is have uh, an operating agreement and, you know, you're going to want to have some other documentation that, you know, you can also, there are websites, like you said, LegalZoom is one of them, that there are forms for this stuff. If you want to do that, you can do that. Um, but, you know, if you go to a lawyer, you're going to have more you know, of a discussion about what your needs are and what to include in that for, you know, your particular business. Yeah. Well, I think it came up in uh, last week's episode, the, the phrase of you don't know what you don't know mm. and you don't know what yes. you don't know until you actually talk to somebody and the, you know, myself and, and Kent and, and, and Connor uh, obviously are not the experts in, and what we're talking about here. So just going out rogue is usually not how you would, uh, you would go about it. And that's why, correct me if I'm wrong, that's why attorneys are so important in the stages of a startup. You know, when, when you're starting up, like, like they can help you, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, your organizational documents, just to start up a company like this, like we're talking about an LLC, so like your operating agreement would be the main document we're talking about. You're going to draft it, and it's going to apply to your company as you see it when you start it. And you can have that document for a really, really long time. Now, Sometimes that needs to be updated. You should be aware of when you need to update that if your business is changing or growing or whatever. But, um, you know, that can last a long time. That can be good for a long time. And so it's worth it to have it done right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking, I know a lot of, a lot of surveyors <clears throat> that are probably, you know, they got one of their survey buddies and they're like, you know, are you happy where you're at? No, I'm not happy where I'm at. Let's go start a business. Um, yeah. We'll just split the profits 50, 50. This is going to be great. Everything's going to be awesome. Yeah. There's got to be some risk involved with that. Right. So particularly, like you say, when there are, you know, more than one principal, uh, more than one owner of the business. Yeah. You want to have an agreement in writing that's going to talk about what your rights are, how the entity is controlled, managed, mm. um, voting rights for making decisions, uh, buyout rights. If somebody wants to get out of the business, if somebody were to pass away, how their interest is going to be dealt with you know, how the business is going to be funded, the percentage of interest in the business. Um, there's a lot of those types of considerations and that's going to go in your, in your formation documents. Yeah. And I can't imagine it's a good idea to go 50, 50, right. In a partnership. I mean, should, 
Is that, is that the way to go? Or should there be like a 51-49 thing or something like that? I mean, somebody's got to make the final decision, right? So, well, so yes. So somebody has to make the final decision, but I think there's two things to consider here, right? It's So 50-50 can mean decision-making yep. and 50-50 can mean sharing of profits. Gotcha. So if you want your distributions to be 50-50, there's really nothing wrong with that, but mm-hmm. you you would want something in your operating agreement saying how decisions are going to be made, you know, tiebreaker, things like that. Yep. So that operating agreement is an incredibly important document when setting up a business. Yeah, it is important. And it's easy to to overlook its importance on the front end because when you're starting a business, everything's sunny, you're very optimistic, and you're not thinking about like, you know, potential things that could go wrong down the road. But, you know, um, you want to have those things spelled out. You know, it's it's a contract. And Mm -hmm. so you want to make that agreement. What are some ways that, you know, folks can protect... I guess they're, they're assets when setting up a business, you know, like even if you're a sole proprietor or a partnership or whatever, um, how do you go about, you know, protecting, you know, your home, your car, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's all kinds of, you know, material things that come into play. So the entity provides liability protection oftentimes, right? So an LLC is the entity that is going to be operating the business and you're an owner of that company. So, if your business gets sued, the LLC is getting sued. You personally are not getting sued. Now, you know, if you are not respecting that corporate form and you are sharing accounts and commingling things, then there's exceptions to that and you, you shouldn't do those types of things to make sure you have the maximum liability protection. But if you're doing it right, then the entity provides that sort of protection. What gotcha. do you mean by when you're not doing it right? Like, is so, that yeah. <clears throat> picking, you know, putting your dry cleaning through the, the LLC or uh, right, give me an example of that. Yeah. So you want, you, you want to treat the entity as separate, right? You want, you want to respect the corporate form and you want to respect corporate formalities. So that means you want to have record keeping. You don't want to commingle accounts. You want to have, you know, separate books and records, those sorts of things. You don't want to, um, make it look um, either in appearance or in fact that you and the entity are interchangeable. Uh, how, how often do you see that in like partnership disputes or any type of litigation? Do you see a lot of commingled accounts? And yeah, it happens things? all of the time um, and particularly with small businesses. And it's not oftentimes not bad faith at all. It's just, you know, a person running a business, something needs to be paid, move the money, pay it. You know, it's just the practicalities of running a business. It just, it happens, but you want to, you know, try to respect the corporate form as much as possible. So uh, what what kind of advice, like what's like the number one note, you know, thing that you should not do when it comes to co-mingling? Like, like what's the, what's the golden rule that you don't do? Yeah, I would, I mean, so you want separate books and records, separate, you know, corporate documents, separate records and stuff. But, but, but I think the money is, is, is probably, I would say the most important thing you want to, you want to keep, you know, the funds separate. You don't want to commingle accounts. Yep. Um, you don't want to be using your business accounts for your personal expenses, those sorts of things. Mm. I think that you yeah, talked about, that's the big one, right? Yeah, that's important. I mean, it's, it, you know, even if it's not bad faith, it doesn't look good if, right, in a right, dispute. It doesn't right, pass yeah, the yeah. eye test. Right. So, so when you're in a partnership dispute, then you're basically using the operating agreement as your said Bible, like as an attorney, like you're always going to be drawing back to that operating agreement and always other facts that come up, but like that operating agreement right there is utilized in litigation a lot. Yeah. I mean, if there are, you know, disputes about how a decision needs to be made, 
disputes about anything really that's in the operating agreement, then yeah, you would look to the operating agreement and say, you know, this is what we agreed on and it's spelled out here. And that's the kinds of things you want to be, you know, clear and consider on the front end. And that's really, you know, why you want to talk to a lawyer, because that's, uh, that's our job is to try to consider all that stuff on the front end, um, sort of envision what could go wrong and, you know, how, talk about how you want to deal with it now on the front end. What's the importance of having a physical receipt for things? Like even like whether you're a sole proprietor or even the company that, you know, that I work for, you know, it's like turning your receipts, turning your receipts. And in my mind, I'm just like, well, can't you just look at the bank account? And it's like, it's, it's spelled out there. I mean, why do you have to have a physical receipt or do you have to? Yeah, I'm not really sure what, um, what context you're being asked for receipts in, like if it's a tax issue or uh, not, you know? Yeah. Um, I think what, it's the places that you're talking about yeah. going don't have receipts that are very clear <laughs> on what the service was. <laughs> so lap yeah. dances? Yeah, yeah. You need receipt on that, buddy? No, it's the IRS stuff. Yeah, yeah. 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 It, it seems like what you're contemplating is, is more of a tax issue. Yeah, but, right, yeah. 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 But I mean, is, is a receipt really important these days? Do you still need to have a paper receipt for this stuff? Or can you not just look back at the bank account and see the transaction? Yeah, I think, um, I think, you know, sometimes that can be sufficient. I, you know, I think a receipt often has more detail sometimes. You can get that stuff emailed to you, though. It's, you know, yeah. It's easy, so, yeah. I suppose there's other ways. It's all about coding the receipt to the proper, proper account. Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So when yeah, receipts are receipts are big in time, because if you think about it, like if you look at a bank account currently, it says, okay, I purchased, you know, I spent $55 at Home Depot. Well, what I spend, like I could have bought $55 worth of monster energy drinks that are not business applicable, or I could have bought, you know, construction stakes out there and utilize those for, for actual services. So I think that's a huge thing. Um, but to Michael's point too, is like some, sometimes the bank account is used and it's, it's okay. So when you get into partnership disputes, like you look at the flow of funds or like sources and uses. So you want to be able to tie the bank account to certain different flows of the funds. So I think that there's two applicable things, but to your point, it's back to taxes, in my opinion. Gotcha. Gotcha. From an accounting. Gotcha. Do you have something, Sean? No, no, go ahead. Um, So when you're, when you're setting up this operating agreement, you know, there's gotta be some things that you want to make sure are are protected does that make sense mm-hmm. i mean what are what are some example if some examples of, of things like that that uh you you feel should be included in an operating agreement yeah some general provisions that you're you're going to want to think about yep are you know distribution of profits um mm-hmm. you're gonna want to think about percentage of ownership interests which is usually tied to distribution of profits mm-hmm. you're gonna talk about how the entity is going to be uh managed controlled voting rights meetings, how meetings are going to be conducted, you know, um, those sorts of things, uh, buyouts of membership interests, um, what happens in the event of a liquidation, when, uh, when you can liquidate. Sure. Yeah. What, yeah. uh, can you take a step back when you say liquidation? Yeah. You're going to have to give me a little more, more juice on that one. Um, when you can wind down and close the business. Right. So you're going to, in your formation documents, talk about the purpose of the business. Um, usually, often, you know, it just says to, to you know, conduct any lawful business. It's really broad yep. intentionally because, you know, your business might change. You don't want to sort of pigeonhole yourself. And so you, you just keep it broad. And that's OK. You, you can do that. But 
you know, sometimes it's more specific to own real estate, to own this piece of real estate, you know, something like that. Or like when uh, purchasing of assets, like, all right, me and Ken are going to start a business together. Mm -hmm. We're going to put together this agreement and then we're going to have to buy some, some maybe some survey equipment or, you know, wh whatever we're going to need to buy. Right. Maybe who's going to buy it and what happens when we need to sell it and who gets that? Like, Well, right. So you're talking about that. I mean, and that's kind of tied up in percentage of ownership and who's going to contribute what, you know, uh, as far as the contributions to fund the entity. Um, and that usually, you know, is tied up with control and also tied up with distributions, like percentages of distributions, how it's paid out. So the operating agreement, does that also set the stage for, um, there's a lot of surveyors at that age of retirement right now. And I would fathom to say that half, if not more, don't have an exit strategy. Um, so there's like, oh, I'm going to sell my business and it's worth $3 million when in fact it's worth $50,000. Um, is, is, is that something that's kind of addressed in a operating agreement? Yeah. I mean, there can be, yeah, you can definitely contemplate sort of buyout provisions and okay. how that works. Yep. And, you know, other members of the LLC can have like a first option, you know, right of first refusal, things like that. Um, as far as valuation, that's that's a little bit different, and you you can hire a probably valuation consultant to, to do gotcha. that for you. Or an accounting often yep. can do it. Yeah, um, I kind of I kind of mixed apples and oranges there just a little bit. COG, what you got? For the listeners, I've worked with Michael in the past, um, and so it's one of those things where like, yeah, he he's he does the law side and like the drafting the agreements and the contracts up, but then when you get to the nitty gritty of the numbers, that's where he would have engaged a. a company that I worked for in the past to help with valuations, but more on the turnaround side of things. So no, it's, a, it's something that I think is very valuable though, to have an attorney look at and help through those operating agreements. Because for instance, like when I've walked through different stuff with Michael on a personal or professional basis, there's just a wealth of knowledge that you have to have that I, I've been through a handful of transactions and still cannot comprehend how much knowledge an attorney has. Hey, I was curious about that valuation. I know you said you, you hire a, you know, a, a, a third party firm that, that specializes right. in valuations. Like, ha, is that something that the, the ownership decides or you as an attorney say, okay, this guy is reputable, whatever he says, that's what your company's worth. Cause I think what Kent's getting at is it got some, some surveyors and some other people that have, professional businesses and they're somewhere on the spectrum of a been in business for 30 years or a business business for five years. But how do you determine what that is actually worth? Well, I think, I think there's two, two points, right? So if everybody agrees that a partner is going to be, or a member is going to be bought out. And the only question is the, the price, the value of their membership interests, and everybody wants to sort of get to that same place, then, you know, the, the business can hire a valuation consultant and they can get a value and if they agree on it, then that's then that's what they'll pay if they're if they're willing to buy it out. Um, How many if, times do you see them disagree so, on that? Right. So if there's <laughs> if there's a dispute, right? So you're talking so right. in a partnership dispute. That's something that, val that valuation consultants deal with a lot, which is they're valuing the business to understand what you know this person thinks it's worth, and then the other person can hire a different valuation consultant, and they <laughs> oftentimes do have very different results. And you know what? Um, there are different methodologies to get to those those answers. And, uh, oftentimes there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of sort of individual 
uh, perspective on projections that can make those numbers vary a lot. Uh, and how do you, is that kind of what you, your, is that one of your goals? Is, how do you really get to meeting in the middle or meeting somewhere in between those two, right? And well, and eventually it, you have to decide something well, and that or could you be just in a decide lawsuit, that we're. Right. So, so you could have this dispute play out in a court, right? And so you could have your valuation consultants or basically your expert witnesses. And so you are, and then a judge will just decide which one is, you know, methodology is more credible, basically. Right. So you got COG on one side and then an experienced valuation person on the other side, and then they're duking <laughs> yeah. it out in court. Yeah, so, that's, yeah exactly. that's right, right. We, we would, we would at, my, at two previous shops ago, we would have, like, a, the guy that I worked for, Nate Curtis, he would go up on the stand and literally be testifying on his reports that he would write on why his calculation on inflation was better than the other expert. And there is a huge, and Michael can maybe a little bit attest to this, there is a, a little bit of... Uh, I don't know how to explain like non camaraderie, like people have some, some grudges against each other in the Valley. And so like, there's only a handful of people that play in this space. And so you kind of get to know them throughout the times. And then it gets a little dicey at networking events sometimes too, (laughs) (laughs) but they, but it is, it's a huge, like, like the guy that I worked for, he's getting his PhD in economics and you know, he writes these novels of reports and like, they're just way high. Like he's just too much thinker, you know, and they, they get into the nitty gritty of debating on why inflation should be 3% instead of 3.5%. But that matters can a change lot. Evaluation. Yeah. Well, that, it can matter a lot, right? It can matter a lot. And those that are inputs that are, that are qualitative, right? So you're yeah. just, you, it's easy to see when you have different people making projections that, you know, maybe favor their side, how you get to very different results. Right. Yeah. And you can think as you're starting, Kent and I are starting this business and we think, oh, we'll just, you know, keep going along and eventually we might sell it or whoever. And then eventually there's going to be a difference of opinion on what yeah. that valuation is. And Kent will hire Connor and I'll hire someone else and yeah. they'll say something different. And then we'll all of a sudden we're fighting. It's usually a little more high level than that in your entity documents. It's more like, here's the dispute resolution process. Like, we're, we agree that we're going to arbitrate if that's what we want to do instead right. of being court, right? So we're going to arbitrate under the these arbitration rules and, you know, it won't do it in court. Then or you don't have we, to worry or, about it, right? Or we're going to, or, yeah, yeah. It's well, all spelled out. You operate under that agreement. and Well, but you still have a dispute in an arbitration. Sure. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, sad, and sadly, the cost of litigation sometimes, like like the, the the low end of the valuation that somebody comes in on. So let's say it's a million dollar valuation, and the other partner thinks it's going to be for one point two million. Mm. They're going to spend about two hundred thousand, if not more, sometimes. That's foolish. In legal cost, that it's like okay, th- like what is your two? And then you have like let's say the profit, let's say that's split fifty fifty. That's a hundred thousand dollars that you're fighting over now at this point. It's like. Yeah. Sometimes it's a little foolish, like you said. So, Michael, let me ask you this. So there's the uh, there's the operating agreement, and then companies typically draw bylaws as well. What, what's the difference between operating agreement and bylaws? Yeah, not much. All right. Bylaws are for corporations mm. is the difference, oh. right? Um, and an operating agreement is for a limited liability company. Gotcha. Yeah. And gotcha. so, you know, there are some different things in corporations that are, don't apply to limited liability company. Mm. You know, you have board of directors, you have, um, you know, different like record keeping obligations, books and records, limited liability companies usually are a little bit more lax with their requirements, but, um, yeah, but generally they do 
they, they serve the same purpose pretty much. Sure. Sure. Um, so let's, let's talk about something that you are, uh, are an expert at. <laughs> it's kind of negative, but let's talk about bankruptcy a little bit. Okay. I know that's something you specialize it. in. Yep. And you know, I, I guess the point of this conversation is to help our listeners avoid bankruptcy. Ultimately, <laughs> that's well, what we're well, going to do go, here. Let's talk about that for a second. Is yeah. that something that you absolutely should always avoid? Hmm. Good question. No, no. You, you should not always avoid it. There are, bankruptcy can be a really good tool in some situations. Mm. I'd love to hear about what those situations yes. are. Some examples <laughs> would be great. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, sure. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about how a company sort of finds itself in a position that it's thinking about filing mm-hmm. for bankruptcy, right? Sure. So often you have a company that is having maybe cash flow issues or profitability issues, having trouble paying its debts as, a, as they come due, right? And so they have often a lot of creditors who are wanting to get paid, being vocal, you know, asking for payment. Yep. Um, those could be vendors, you know, any contract counterparty, but oftentimes your biggest creditor is the bank who gave you a loan. And, you know, they have a lien on, on at least some of your assets, if not all of them. And so they have, you know, if you default rights and remedies, you know, that they can exercise under their loan documents. And so if you have these issues, you're not paying your creditors, but you have a business that is earning money or that has assets, that's a going concern, that has something to reorganize around, um, then bankruptcy can be a tool to to deal with the default, to deal with your your debt, your basically your balance sheet issues, oftentimes, right? Because your you know your liabilities are bigger than your assets, but that's something that you can reorganize in bankruptcy, mm. and so it's a tool that you can use to resolve that problem. When you say reorganize, that sounds like one of those terms that. Seems pretty pretty nice, but probably means a whole lot of more stuff. <laughs> more stuff. <laughs> like uh, I'm I'm guessing it's more involved than, you know, moving my desk to one side of the office <laughs> and the other side and moving the file it cabinet is. to the corner. It is. <laughs> it um, is. <laughs> okay, so bankruptcy for a business uh, that wants to reorganize uh, means you're you're going to file under chapter eleven of the bankruptcy code. So just at a really high level, there is federal bankruptcy code. It is, uh, it is codified in the U.S. code. It is Title 11 of the U.S. code, and it sets forth all of the uh, statutes pertaining to bankruptcy, which is all federal. It's federal law, and bankruptcy courts are federal courts. And so hmm. there are different chapters that you can file under to achieve different things. You can file under Chapter 7 if you want to liquidate. That's as an individual or as a company. Can I ask one question? Sure, yeah. Because this is really interesting to me. You said this is all federal law. Yeah. It's not state law. Correct. It's federal law. Correct. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. You can file, if you're an individual and you want to reorganize and make a payment plan and pay some amount of your debt over time, you can file Chapter 13 bankruptcy if you're within certain debt limits. Um, You, if you're a business or a high net worth individual, you can file under Chapter 11 to reorganize. Um... And there are other chapters of the bankruptcy code for certain other very specific things. Um, 
you know, if you're a municipality, if you're a family farmer, just, mm-hmm. you know, very specific chapters that, you know, only apply to narrow uh, uh, debtors. So under chapter 11, for a business, you're going to, if you decide that you want to file a bankruptcy case, you're going to file a bankruptcy petition, which is a short document, and all, and you file it with a bankruptcy court. And that the, the minute you file it, you are uh, in bankruptcy, you're a debtor in bankruptcy. Um, you filed a voluntary bankruptcy petition. And so at that moment, there's something called the automatic stay, which means all collection efforts against you stop. They are stayed hmm. and people cannot collect against you, right? You have a breathing spell to come to court and try to bring those disputes into one place and, and reorganize, deal with them in your bankruptcy case. So the way the case would typically, typically proceed, just at a high level, is after you file your petition, you're going to file a handful of motions at the very beginning that are just going to, basically the purpose is to keep your business open. I want to pay my employees. I want to have access to cash that might be collateral of a bank, right? They have, may have a lien on my cash, but I still want to, I don't want to use it. Maybe I want to borrow money and I have a lender who's going to lend me some money to fund my bankruptcy case. You need to ask the court for permission to do that. Um, I, you know, I want to uh, keep my utilities on and make sure they don't cancel my utilities so I, you can file a utilities motion. There's all these motions just to keep, keep the lights on and keep, keep operating, right, as you get into bankruptcy. Um, once you're in and, you know, hopefully that stuff has been granted by the court and you are operating, the advantages of Chapter 11, you maintain control of your business. You are running your business on a going forward basis as a going concern. And you can operate in the ordinary course of business without court approval. You do need court approval to do things outside the ordinary course of business. But you can, you can just run your business in bankruptcy. The goal is to hopefully quickly, as quickly as possible, um, file a bankruptcy plan that says how you're going to treat your creditors. And the bankruptcy code has a bunch of rules about how you can treat them, how you have to pay them out, and, uh, and the order, priority of payments. And so your plan has to comply with all that stuff, has to comply with all the rules in the code. And that's why you need a bankruptcy lawyer to draft your plan. But yeah. um, but that's the goal, is to get a plan confirmed so that you can say how you're going to pay your creditors. Get your way out, right? Then you get out. You get a discharge of of your debts that are, you know, well, you you have to comply with the plan, basically, right? So the, the plan is sort of like an agreement that you're going to pay this way now and not under the previous obligations. And then you have to comply with it. And then you, that, those are your obligations now. And so that, and so you, you are no longer obligated on, you know, all the stuff that people are trying to collect on you for pre-petition. You know, so you said the something petition. very interesting, like as <clears throat> that really caught me was when you decide to enter into this agreement and I'm curious on what your advice would be on when should that be? What's the trigger what as a business owner, let's say a company, company between Kent and I, Kent is doing a terrible job and we are just hemorrhaging money and it is, it is, I think it's time. He doesn't think it's time. Come on. Kent. How would you decide or how would you recommend someone decide like, all right, at this point, this is the point of no return. You got to do this or you're, you're past that stage of when it's time to, file when it's time to file your bankruptcy petition. You, you, you're, you're, you're losing time. You know, you should have yeah, yeah. you know. Good question. Yep. So uh, there's a few, a few uh, things that are 
you know, indicators that you should definitely file. And then there's some things, you know, a lot of times it's discretionary, right? Sure. First of all, ideally you have already, when you first start to experience distress, talk to either a financial turnaround mm. professional, you know, like a financial advisor who specializes in distress work or a, a bankruptcy or, you know, a, a restructuring lawyer um, or both. <laughs> uh, you, if you do that early, then you sort of have options and advice as you're going through this process. Often people don't do that and right. they sort of call the bankruptcy lawyer. They're like, uh, my property's gonna get foreclosed on tomorrow. Right. Right? And right. so and then it's like, yeah, I yeah. need to file today. And, uh, and that's not, you know, that's not the position you, you wanna so, be in. And totally unrealistic, so not, right? Yeah, so it not is not impossible. It's not impossible. Yeah. Um, you know, it is not, it's not the strongest place to be in because yeah. you wanna do planning before sure. you're in bankruptcy. Yeah, right? yeah be proactive on it. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, you want I mean, you're typically, you'd want to be having conversations with your creditors. You want to be telling them, like we're you know, maybe even telling some of them we're going to file, yeah. where you're going to be preparing how your strategy for the bankruptcy case, which can be very contentious. I mean, the way I described it is sort of ideally how you will flow through a case, but your creditors have rights to object to the stuff you're trying to do. So you, mm. and, and so the forum where that, those fights happen is the bankruptcy case. And there's a bankruptcy judge who's going to decide those issues. So um, it's not always just a smooth ride, right? You are having those fights in the case. Connor? So not, not to shameless plug, but they would call um, a Michael Galen at Dorsey Whitney, correct? Like, like if you're looking for an attorney to talk through bankruptcy, that's a correct thing to do. You, like you would call, you would proactively call you, correct? Yeah, that's right. You'd My question is, when do you call Michael Galen? At what point do you say, okay. What's the trigger? Yeah, all right, all right, all right. right. All right. So it's been 30 days. A guy sends me a bill. It's due today. Obviously, I'm not going to pay that. I'm going to pay it when I can. All right, it's been maybe two months. At some all point, right, right. as it, it kind of stacks up. It, these things these things don't, it doesn't happen overnight. Right. It, it just kind of grows. Yeah. And before you realize it, oh, crap, I should have done that 30 days ago. Is there any advice you could give somebody like the business, you know, Fake business that Kent and I started. Yeah. When would you do that? <laughs> so you want to be talking to your your bankruptcy lawyer uh, early in the process, when you're starting to experience the distress, not right when you want to How do you file. define distress? But there's a point where it's you're like, not. as a business owner, you're like, I know I'm fucked. Yeah, yeah. What point is right? that? So like How you, do you define distress? So like you, you are um, not paying your debts as, as they come due, or you know you're not going to be able to. You're having cash flow issues um, that don't look like they're going to resolve. You can't obtain the necessary financing to mm. resolve those issues. Yeah. So if um, I, I'm trying to grow a business, cash flow is tough. Go to the bank. They say, you know what? Not giving you enough money right. as you want. So as far as the time of when you need to file, right? If you're like going through this process, you have a lawyer and it's like, when is the, the day? How do I pick the time? So oftentimes when you know, situations where you would like need to do that on yeah. like by a particular date, if you're going to have property foreclosed on, right? So somebody is going to get a, a court order that says we can take your property and they're going to go do it, like have a sheriff sale. Yep. Yeah. You need to file before that happens because, <laughs> right, because once right. that happens, it's not yours anymore. Mm, right. That, yeah. So yeah. you can save right. that. You can salvage that. So you own the property before yeah. the foreclosure sale and after the foreclosure sale, you don't. Exactly. When you file yeah. for, when you file for <laughs> bankruptcy, yeah. the stuff that's in your bankruptcy estate, it meaning, what is owned by the entity that's in bankruptcy mm -hmm. is the stuff that you had on the day you file your bankruptcy petition. Uh, gotcha. Uh, gotcha. Gotcha. So if you lose that the day before, it's not part of your bankruptcy estate. And as good as you mm, are, you can't get it back. 
right. Is that Interesting. right? Yeah, you can't get it back. That's right. That's right. So, and so if you're going to have, you know, oftentimes people will file if they're in litigation. Litigation can be a driver toward bankruptcy case. You have like, you know, contentious litigation, you know, potential liability. Um, you, if you, you know, think you're going to get a judgment against you, oftentimes people will file before they get that judgment entered. Um, that proceeding that, you know, you're you're fighting in another court is stopped when your bankruptcy case is filed. Really? Yes. It's part of the automatic state. People cannot take legal action against you during your bankruptcy case outside of the bankruptcy court. Now, there are things they can go do in the bankruptcy case to try to have the bankruptcy judge allow them to restart that litigation. There's things they can do. They're not like totally without remedy, like their hands are tied. They, they can participate and still advocate for their rights. But but you have these protections that are really powerful. And that's the advantage of bankruptcy is that you get this breathing spell, everything is pulled into one forum and you get to try to resolve your issues there instead of sort of scattershot putting out fires all over the place with creditors clamoring for payment. Well, I think what you just said is really important and relevant. And in the, in the business model that, you know, I presented, uh, Kent and I started a business and it's really focused around Kent's surveying ability and Kent, as great as he is, he surveyed a huge building and said, put it right here. This is where this is. And it turns out he was 100 feet off. And they Let's wanted go to... Let's go with five feet <laughs> off. A hundred's a little excessive. <laughs> Let's say for the example, it's, a, it's five feet off. And that building, which is the most expensive building ever, said, Kent, you put it in the wrong spot. I can clearly prove that you did it wrong. I am going to sue you for the cost of that building. Kent should probably engage somebody to uh, about a, a bankruptcy attorney because that's probably coming for him. Keep in mind, we're partners. Oh, correct. In this correct, example. Correct. Yeah. So we, we oh, are. We are so partners. Often, <laughs> often, you know, you, you know, you will, you will try to have, um, have some, you know, you, you potentially have out of, out of bankruptcy court options before you get there, right? You can try to restructure outside of bankruptcy court. You can obviously cut deals with, you know, creditors, adverse parties. You can settle, right? Things like that. In that case, we would, uh, we would sever our partnership and then Kent would be on his <laughs> own. And so, yeah, I can see that. Um, but, but that's, that. but that's why you also touch like not just bankruptcy, correct? Like, like that's why attorneys in the bankruptcy field also touch different like corporate litigations and those type of things, correct? So you can handle not only bankruptcy, but the sure. court stuff. So a lot, so a lot of what I, I do is not necessarily in in bankruptcy court. Um, I mean, restructuring doesn't mean it's in bankruptcy court, right? Mm. Restructuring can be out of court remedies. So like you are, have defaulted with your bank, but maybe your bank's willing to work with you. And maybe, you know, we can reach some arrangement where mm. we, you know, restructure that loan, how it's going to be paid um, outside mm. of bankruptcy court. I mean, bankruptcy is very powerful, but bankruptcy, you know, can, can be very expensive. And so it can be a really good option, but it's not always the best option. And there are other, you know, restructuring options, right? You know, I, there are also state court options, um, that can apply at times, uh, depending on the situation. So, so, you know, it's not always in bankruptcy court. So let me ask you this. Uh, like I, you know, I've never been involved in bankruptcy in any way, shape, or form. But my um, understanding, or probably misconception, is that if you file for bankruptcy, maybe it's as an individual or as, or as a company, it's like you all your debts are wiped clean, 
and you start over. Yeah. You hit the reset button. Is that a, is that a misconception or is that what is that what it looks like? It's not a misconception for certain types of bankruptcy. Um, if they're for an individual, it can look exactly like that mm. pretty much um, in certain situations. Uh, an individual who doesn't really have you know assets um, can't you know that can be sold to satisfy their debts. Uh, can file, but has a lot of debt, can file uh, a Chapter 7 bankruptcy. Um, and it can it can look a lot like that, mm. actually. So at times, that is accurate. Interesting, interesting. You know, I, I would be curious to see, like, what percentage of billionaires have filed bankruptcy in their life? For their companies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, for their companies. <laughs> yes, exactly. But you did say businesses and high-earning individuals. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's just because the bankruptcy code has uh, debt limits, for a chapter 13 bankruptcy. So if you are an individual and you want to file a bankruptcy case where you aren't just going to give up your stuff, but you're going to make a payment plan and pay creditors over time, you can do that under a chapter 13 case, potentially if you are under certain debt limits, but or under certain, um, yeah, certain, certain num- numbers. But if you are above them, uh, you cannot, and you have to file under chapter 11. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just, uh, uh, you know, how the bankruptcy code is written. So interesting. And, you know, we started this conversation, like, how can we avoid bankruptcy? And then immediately you corrected that statement. You're like, you don't necessarily want to avoid it. In some cases, it's a really good tool. Yeah. And that's how it should be looked at. But, you know, you should also realize that there are other potential options. And it's usually the same advisors who are giving you those options, right? Like I, you know, will work for banks and for debtors, you know, to restructure loans out of, out of, out of bankruptcy court. And yeah. that's, and that can be a good option. I know an individual name will go unmentioned, of course, who has personally filed for bankruptcy more than once. And he's got freedom financial on speed dial. You know, what I'm talking about, right? So not, I'm not saying you don't know who I'm talking about, but I mean, uh, I don't know how you get in that situation. You know, it's like your freedom financial debt relief, freedom financial debt relief. I mean, what are, what are, what are those companies doing? Are they, are they helping you avoid bankruptcy or what, what are they doing? Is, is this one of those companies that's like helping you resolve your credit card? Yeah, sort of exactly. Thing? Yeah. 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 I mean, those companies, uh, I've never worked with one. I'll <laughs> start with that. Yeah. Um, and it's not really what I do. Sure. Consumer, consumer debt is not, most of what I deal with. Um, but yeah, you can, you know, there are ways to resolve, uh, credit card debt, like unsecured personal debt, unsecured debt. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, one is just like cutting a deal, like calling them up and saying like, if I file bankruptcy, you get $0. Would you like, you know, 25 cents on the dollar sort sort of conversations. Um, and then, you know, there's also just like these debt consolidation companies that sort of like basically give you a new line of credit. So you still have like the same amount of debt basically. It's just not with like 10 different credit card companies. Right. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So were you looking for more of like the F like, what does an FA look like? Was that more of the question too? What is a corporation like FA that's more for Kent? I don't know what an FA is. A financial advisor. Financial advisor. Oh, sorry. Oh, gotcha. No, I, I was just using a uh, a friend of mine as an example of what not to do. Oh, I. See. <laughs> uh, I don't understand how the hell he's done this. <laughs> uh, so you know, you've dealt with several. I mean, obviously, maybe hundreds of bankruptcy cases, companies, that kind of thing. Like, what would you say? What's the telltale signs of? this is what you should avoid. Like, is there anything where you're like, okay, if you're doing this every month or every week or every six months, like 
you're going to eventually yeah. be needing to call me or what's the general trend that you would say that let's say Kent and I's business yeah. is doing and we don't realize we're doing yeah. until yeah. we have to call you. What are some red flags? Absolutely. So there, Great there, question. So there's no, there's no one thing because just, you know, these types of problems, corporate distress, insolvency, um, just general cash flow issues can come from like so many different places. Right. right. Um, you know, just market conditions, right. Can just, just, you know, you're, you're not able to sell stuff the way you thought you did. There's a pandemic. Interest rates are rising. You know, like there's these market, market conditions that you don't control, right? Um, lawsuits, right? Legal liability is something that can lead uh, mm. to these sorts of, yep. of issues. Um, fraud <laughs> is something that can uh, lead to these issues. Good one. Oh, and, yeah. Right. Um, and sort of the, you know, the big examples are like the Ponzi scheme cases where you have like, mm. you know, these huge Ponzi schemes unwound in bankruptcy. But, you know, there's much smaller examples of that where just, you know, you have an employee who is taking money from you or something like that. Yeah. Um, that is, you know, hurting your business. Um, and just, you know, unsuccessful business decisions. Like, you know, you make a business decision, you take your company one way, you think it's going to be successful and it's not. And, you know, that that happens. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that because I think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, there's, there's, there's probably multiple different ways to end up in that position of bankruptcy, but you know, one is, you know, poor decision-making obviously. And the other is, let's say you're in bed with one particular client and that, you know, you did 80% of their work and all of a sudden they go belly up. They can't sure. pay your invoices and you have no choice. So it's almost like a, like you're forced into bankruptcy. Yeah, correct. Uh, com companies, bankruptcy cases can cause, you know, insolvency or distress mm. for their vendors, mm -hmm. right? Or for their suppliers or for their, you know, contract counterparties. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Very, very. I, I mean, I'm just always, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know, right? And you're just plugging along thinking, oh, everything's all good. And oh, I know a lot of our work is with this one company, but man, they're really big and they're really, I, I, I see them, they're doing stuff. I'm sure it's going to be fine. And then at one point, it's too late. And then you wish, man, I wish I would have looked back and called this guy and yeah. reorganized and restructured ahead of time and put until it's too late. Yeah. Yeah. And to really, I can't emphasize enough that like starting the process early is really helpful because, you know, if you, if you call an advisor, like a financial side advisor or an, a bankruptcy attorney right before, you know, you really mm -hmm. are going to need to file. Yep. It's, it's a lot harder. Right. And you're obviously not going to, the first thing you say is, oh, file for bankruptcy right now. No, it's like, okay, I see this coming. Here are your options. I'm assuming that's how that conversation yeah. goes. So first of all, I'm going to want to see your documents and I'm going to need time to read them and analyze them. And yeah. then I maybe I'm going to want to go talk to your lender and have a start a conversation with them. And, you know, these things take, you know, not like one day. I mean, they don't take a whole lot of time, but you know, if it's like the next day that you need to file for bankruptcy, <laughs> right, it's not, right. you know, easy decision-making situation. Right. So, but you, you want to avoid those, back those to the beginning, it could be a positive thing. Like it could really benefit you by engaging someone like you early in that process. Yeah. yeah. And even engaging me can avoid a bankruptcy filing yeah. and can, that allow was my question. I'm yeah. so glad and, you said that. Cause yeah. I'm curious about how, what, you know, how often does it happen where somebody engages you, you know, they're being very proactive, like, Hey, I see trouble on the horizon. I need to talk to somebody like you, Michael. And how often do those conversations end up not resulting in bankruptcy? Where it's like, you know what? There are some issues here, but I can advise you on a way to dig yourself out of this hole. And here's what we can do. 
Yeah, it happens all the time. Nice. So I, so I, you know, I, I, I do work for um, really all sides, you know, debtors, sure. creditors yep. as well. Um, and, you know, doing work for lenders, you know, you see this all the time. Not every default, you know, leads to, you know, full on like foreclosure, right? Like you oftentimes lenders are going to enter into a forbearance agreement that you can mm. negotiate with them and they're going to give you some runway to, you know, turn things around or they're going to give you some relief. Like they're going to, you know, maybe, maybe even restructure your loan. It can happen, but it requires a conversation and it requires an understanding of what everybody's rights are and what your loan documents say. And, and so, you know, it's just an analysis and a conversation and a negotiation really. Yep. Yep. Connor, you had something I, I interrupted you. Yeah. And, and I have no skin in the game. I'm on the bankruptcy or distress game anymore, but like the, the quicker, like I've seen it being on the FA, uh, the financial advisory side, like when Michael talks about like, you know, reach out to a financial advisor or, or a bankruptcy attorney, like I haven't seen like the quicker you do it, the better off you are. Like Michael was saying just previously is like, you can help with it not going into bankruptcy. You can find those options and it takes some time and takes some you know, get through those documents and those type of things. So, I mean, the, the best thing you can do is just at least reach out and have the conversation. You mentioned uh, being on the other side as well. Like, uh, I have been on the other side before, and I'm just curious if <laughs> I have a client, but do it a whole bunch of work for them and sending them bills, and then all of a sudden it's like, man, you guys haven't been paying me out in a while, and then I don't hear from them, and then a couple of months later I get a letter in the mail that says, hey, guess what? It, when would you say it makes sense to engage somebody like you or, you know, a, a bankruptcy attorney just to, to navigate through that? Because in my mind, it's, well, that means it's gone. Write it off. See you tomorrow. Mm, good question. It can mean that um, at the end of the day. But there are certain things that you want to do when you get that notice that you're, you know. You mean want to or should have? No, but so because so, <laughs> it's sure. past tense, I should have. Yes. No, no, that that you need to do once that and once that company files for bankruptcy that you're a creditor of, right? So, mm -hmm. like, once you get that notice that this company filed for bankruptcy, who owes you money? Yep. There's certain things you need to do. Now, at the end of the day, it might turn out like you say there might not be a significant, you know, distribution that you're going to get paid sure. back. It, it might happen that way, but um, you know, you're going to need to. Uh, you do want to probably engage a bankruptcy lawyer, depending on how much you're owed. And, and you definitely need to file a proof of claim in the case, uh, which uh, is, uh, I'm sorry. And right. So let's, so I'll talk a little bit about that. So <laughs> a, pr a proof of claim is just a document. It's a form and you literally just fill in the form and it says, I am, you know, this person, here's my contact information. I'm owed this amount of money. And here's, you know, the basis for my, my claim, you know, here's my, I'll attach my contract and, and, um, and then you, you file it. And there's a whole register of these things in every bankruptcy case. For it's a list of all the creditors who who file these. Is this the line you got to get into that I hear and, about? And like, so, like, well, go ahead and get get in line. You know? That's something different. That's a little <laughs> okay, bit different. Okay, that's a little okay, bit okay, different. Okay. Um, we we'll talk about that. But there is a line, right? There is under okay, the, okay. under the bankruptcy code. There is. There's a priority of of payments. Mm. Um, so, so you need to have your proof of claim on file um, if you want to get paid under the bankruptcy plan. Sure. So that's the first thing you need to do. Now, depending on your rights, you know, if you have certain, you know, maybe you, depending on what kind of creditor you are, you need to talk to a bankruptcy attorney about what other rights you might have. Um, if you want to be involved in the case, maybe that makes sense. And maybe it doesn't, you know, it, you know, if you're just have an unsecured claim, then maybe that doesn't make sense. And you just file your, your claim. It really, it really depends on, on 
what your rights are and what your relationship is with that company. When you said uh, unsecured claim, yep. is that so, like I had a handshake agreement with a guy to pay me something? or have a- It means you're not secured by a lien. It means you're not a secured creditor. So like when you get a mortgage, uh, the bank, you know, has a lien on your house, right? They're secured by that collateral. Mm-hmm. But if you're owed money and you don't have any lien on anything, then you're generally an unsecured creditor. Mm. Uh, so, so Sean, when we do, Sean, when we do research together, when I was with you previously, and we'd look up the UCC liens, sure, that's a secured creditor. Okay, if you don't got, yeah. If you're not in that line, then it, and and I think where where Kent and I were going with this is. Uh, in the professional survey or the professional services business, a lot of times you, we don't pay attention to that kind of thing. It's, Hey, uh, we got this big project. We're doing this thing. Ah, here's a, here's a document, sign this, go out and do the work and I'll pay you. And what you're saying is we're probably at the end of that line or we are an unsecured lender or uh, an unsecured creditor, right? Creditor. Yes. Yeah. So how does it work? Like, um, Again, coming from a surveyor's perspective, you know, you're providing construction staking services on, you know, I'm, I'm whatever, a 300 lot subdivision. Um, you know, there's always a possibility that the project go belly up. Is it like good practice to like put a mechanics lien on the project around the property um, prior to getting started on the, on, on the project? So if you have the right mm-hmm. to file a mechanics lien, yeah. then you, yeah, then you should you do should. that. Yes. Like every time. Yeah. Like, why not? Right. That's right. When do you not have the right? It's just, it's just under, under applicable state laws. So for like whatever state you're, you're in basically. Mm-hmm. But if you, so, you know, it just, it just, de- it depends. And I, I hate, you know, but that's always, yeah. it's always yeah. part of the answer. But, um, so it, it does depend, but yeah, if you have, if you have lien rights, you should exercise them. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Mm. So great so advice. Great advice. Point. So back to Sean's point, like if you, if you're out and you haven't been paid all this money, you know, I've heard of this thing called preference payments and it's within 90 days, I believe. And so I don't want to get too esoteric on the bankruptcy law, but if we are owed all this money from a contractor over like a seven month period and they pay us within that preference payment date or 60 days, like, do we get all that money? Do we have to give that money back to the bankruptcy? Like, can you kind of explain preference payments and like what a, a creditor could be on the hook for? Yes. So um, you are right. Uh, it is uh, there's a 90 day look back for preferences. And let me talk about what that means. So um, at, before a company files for bankruptcy, oftentimes they uh, have a lot of creditors who all want to be paid and there's not enough money to pay all of them. Oftentimes what happens is the loudest person gets paid first. Interesting. Right. And so and to, you know, and to the exclusion of other people who have basically the same right to payment. And so the, what the bankruptcy code does is it tries to make that process a little more fair by making a 90-day look back before the date of the bankruptcy case. And any certain types of payments within that period can be pulled back into mm. the bankruptcy case, meaning the people who receive them have to pay them back. And then that person has a claim in the bankruptcy case that they get paid out on pro rata, meaning they get the same percentage of distribution as everybody else with the same type of claim so that it's equal for all similarly situated creditors. That's the idea of a preference. Okay. So, so yes, a lot of times 
the way people will get involved in a bankruptcy case is they are, they are, there's a claim against them to pull back money that they were rightfully paid. I should say, when you take a preference payment, you're not doing anything wrong. You are receiving a payment that you're owed. Sure. Nothing wrong. You didn't do anything wrong. You should have received that payment, right? You were owed it under your agreement. Um, but the oh. bankruptcy code allows for this because of its, um, its, its payment, its distribution rules. Right. And so, uh, so there are defenses to preference actions. It does not. Be, it does not mean you need to pay all of it back. And that is something you should talk to a bankruptcy lawyer about. Um, and you, uh, oftentimes, even if you don't have defenses, can you know negotiate, um, you know, you know, a, a partial payment or something, a settlement, hmm. a settlement, basically. But uh, on our end, or I should say, on our end, on our listeners' end, and yeah. in the general general audience, we're typically on the between. 0.5 and 5% of the owed part. Let's say there's a contractor that's doing a whole bunch of work, has a bunch of subcontractors. Okay, they went belly up and decided not to pay anybody and go into bankruptcy. We're on the very low percentage of that. What kind of recommendations do you give to us? Are we just at the end of the line because we have such a little percentage or is there anything we can do to make sure that we have some something to do, you know. Do you mean do just, you mean you just because you have a small claim like dollar amount? Wise? Correct, yeah. correct, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. because yeah. typically that's our assumption. Where yeah. you know. So or does the, the mechanics code, lien help at all in that situation? So it can. So yeah. So it it can give you some priority, but the so to answer your question, you the bankruptcy code requires a debtor if they want to confirm their plan and get out of bankruptcy that they have to propose a plan that treats all similarly situated creditors the same so that means you got to treat all your unsecured creditors what does similarly situated mean that means that you need like if you have a bunch of unsecured creditors they all get the same percentage of distribution mm. Ooh. okay got so it. like and usually general unsecured creditors are at the back of the line if not very close to it right, right? so oftentimes they're not getting a full payout and so you need to, you know, if you, let's say you're giving them, a, you know, 10 cents on the dollar, every single one of them gets 10 cents on the dollar of their claim. Mm. Okay. So it doesn't really matter how big your claim is in order to be entitled to that sort of treatment mm. under the bankruptcy code. Interesting. I mean, absolutely fascinating. Cause it really <laughs> is. It <laughs> just <laughs> opens up the door for so many questions. <laughs> well, you never think about being in the position, but you yeah. know, I, I mean, yeah. I've, I've been in the position before yeah. and it's. I, I can be honest, like, no idea what to do. A letter showed up. helpless. And then you know? I'm like, oh, well, that, that that's out the door. Move on. Write it and, off. Yeah, write it off. And we'll deal with it. May, maybe someday in five years, a check will show up for 1% of what I thought my invoice was. And, okay, great. Well, that is, that is the, the easiest and simplest and cheapest way to look at it <laughs> oftentimes, but you, need, you still need to file a proof of claim ah, okay, in order okay. to be entitled to that usually. Yeah. So yeah. that's that at the, bare, the at the bare minimum. Yeah, that's right. There's a deadline. You should file, you need to file it by the deadline. So, which it says in the notice that you get. So, right. and, and what percentage of people do you think don't even file the deadline? And oh, a lot don't file. A lot don't file. But mm. they'll file it and it and it will come through and i was the one that was actually doing the distributions of the money so i would get engaged with michael who's the bankruptcy and we'd be the liquidating trust over and i would calculate what sean Faber llc is owed and yeah and if you don't file by the deadline it just automatically goes into my excel file and i kick it out i'm so glad it's sean Faber llc <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank God. I'm telling you, you put that building very far away <laughs> than where it should be, and it is a big claim. <laughs> oh, man, that's great stuff. So uh, is that the general percentage? Yeah. What, you know, if you get this claim, you, you file your, or you get the notice, you file your, your claim. Your, yeah. your, your claim. Yep. What's, what is a small business owner generally to expect I and see, what's kind of the general time I frame? see bankruptcy plans that pay 100 cents on the dollar to unsecured creditors. Mm. And I see bankruptcy plans that pay 1% on, one cent on the dollar to unsecured creditors. And does that vary depending on the size or the... They can all, both of those plans could be confirmable by a bankruptcy judge. They both wow. could be acceptable under the bankruptcy code. They both could be more beneficial to creditors generally than if the debtor were to liquidate. So this goes down wow. to a judge's decision. Yeah, but in, in, right? in compliance with the bankruptcy code. I mean, it has gotcha. to comply. The bankruptcy code is really very specific about the things. It's very specific about the mm. things that you have to comply with. Mm. Okay. And then, you know, and then the judge is going to make sure you comply with them at a high level. There's a lot of, you know, disputes that can be had in between the, in, in the gray area, right? But yeah. like, that's generally how it works. Yeah. So I think I know the answer to this, but what's the best advice for anyone considering bankruptcy? Oh, talk to a bankruptcy lawyer. Definitely. Sooner than later. Yeah, talk yeah, talk to her talk to a a bankruptcy lawyer or a, you know, a a, a distressed uh, side financial advisor. And j- just for the record, you're not going to tell on anybody like you can have a have a conversation that doesn't mean anything, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What is that, client attorney privilege or something like that? Something like that. Yes, that's right. If I'm your lawyer, you have attorney-client privilege, and I don't talk to anybody about it. Yeah, and there's it really can't, that conversation can't really happen too soon, really. Yeah, I mean, that's right. You You know, it's, it's, you know, sometimes for people who, for businesses who who do talk early to us, if it's too early, they'll say, hey, I'm experiencing this thing. We'll say, okay, great, you know, maybe give some advice, maybe say, we want to see your loan documents, give some advice. We can help you in this way. Um, it's not time to file bankruptcy. It would, might be the advice, for example. Um, or it might be like, you know, okay, you're, you're trying to resolve this. Let, let me know if it doesn't work out. Let me know if this, you know, if this thing happens, if you don't make this payment that yeah. is coming up, that sort of thing. So, um, so it can't be too early because, you know, that's still a good resolution of the conversation and it just leads to, to more conversations if we're needed in the future. Really. So this might be a, a, a strange question, but is it tough to not get emotionally involved with your clients? Um, I, so I've worked at a, a few different firms and I used to work at a firm that did some uh, individual bankruptcy. I've never done a lot of it. Um, and when I've done it, it's more like high net worth mm-hmm. individual or like, um, you know, there's like a litig- there's like some complex litigation involved with it, yep. but uh, those kinds of clients, sort of, it, the bankruptcy affects them more because it's it's really personal for yep. them. You know, it's not a business decision yeah. as, as much as it is like a, a life event, and the, you know, and so it's, um, you know, counseling those kind of clients, uh, you know, was harder mm. um, in some ways uh, than you know when you're talking to the owner of a business, you know. That can be, they're very emotionally invested, especially small business owners, right? But they're making business decisions usually, you know, and it's it's a different dynamic. I have two more questions. Yeah. Um, one is a little personal, one's the other not. Uh, how would, if, it, how do you handle the, you know, obviously your services cost money, should, should obviously, if you are in a 
position where bankruptcy looks to be the option and you think calling somebody or getting advice on something is going to cost more money, how would you advise that? Like if I, if I'm already out of money, can't pay my debtor, you know, can't pay my credit. Like why would I call somebody that's also going to send me another bill that I can't pay? Mm. Yeah. So there are, um, there's a couple different points about that. So first of all, there oftentimes when a business is, is facing these kinds of issues, they're making money, right? They're operating a business and they have money coming in. It's just that they're not making enough money to cover their debt. Yeah. Right. Just for the record, I consider that still losing money. So they are not, they are, they are insolvent. They are not they're a cash flow insolvent, definitely, it sounds like under this example, but they are, they still have money coming in. So just for example, right, if you have um, a bank loan and you are, you know, you have payments that are due on that, but you're behind and they're going to foreclose on you, then maybe you don't make the next payment. Like you're not worse off. Hmm. Right. There's places to find the cash. <laughs> That's a good point. Right. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes in certain situations, there are places that, you know, to find the cash. Um, sometimes, you know, the owners can can make a cash infusion uh, to the business. Right. I mean, you can capital call your uh, your 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 owners. So there's play, there are ways to do it. Um, I will say that in a bankruptcy case, once you file for bankruptcy, uh, the debtors professionals need to ask for court approval to get paid. Um, and the service providers who continue to provide services to a company that's in bankruptcy have priority of payment, right? Because otherwise they wouldn't continue to provide services to a company that's in bankruptcy. And that's just a function of, you know, you need to keep the lights on and you need to keep it as a going concern because it's worth way more as a going concern usually than if you just shut it down. Sure. So, uh, the other one is, um, I don't know how to say this the right way, but so most of the things that you deal with are probably I uh, have a negative type of kind of like something bad has happened or things are not going, you know, like you probably don't get a whole lot of calls about, Hey, my business is going great and all these other things. So in general, as a professional, you know, in a lot of business, you know, you, I, I'm not sure what my question is, but how I think, you know, where I'm going, like, you know, most of the things you deal with are bad, like in a bad thing, like something yeah. hasn't gone right. Like how, what, how what, do you navigate through that? What's the reward being you? So I really, <laughs> I've all, <laughs> um, so I, I got interested in bankruptcy uh, really early, even in early in law school. So I've really interested in it for pretty much my whole career. And I always liked it for a couple of reasons. First of all, it allows you to sort of be a general practitioner. A lot of lawyers are specialized and a lot of specialties require you to do the same thing over and over and over again. And bankruptcy allows you to be a little bit more dynamic because every time there's a new bankruptcy case, you are dealing with a different company and a different industry and all of the issues that come along with it and all of the legal issues that come along with it. And it is really varied. I mean, you can have employment issues, you can have mass tort issues, you can have, I mean, every legal issue can come up in the in a distress context. Um, and that is very interesting to me. Um, so I really like that. You kind of have to learn as you go constantly about a new industry all of the time, which is very, which is very exciting. Um, and I really enjoy that. Uh, I also really enjoy the idea that you sort of have uh, this puzzle, right? Like you have this company that is has a problem and you have to solve that problem because 
there's all these tools that the bankruptcy code and other laws give you to do that, right? Mm. And so it's not just as simple as like, well, you know, I have this loan payment coming up, but I can't afford it. You know, it's like, it's way more complex than that. And there's options. And so, um, so sort of solving that puzzle, and obviously it's usually a lot more complex than that. And so uh, I find that very exciting and very interesting. You definitely perked the interest of a lot of uh, us as professionals and a lot of our listeners is, I think in, in general, we're problem solvers and we love the, we love the puzzle. And yeah. the fact that, that it doesn't immediately seem like there's an answer and you can figure out one is the most thrilling thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it goes back to being proactive, but and, and let's kind of bring this full circle. It's like you know we started talking out talking in the beginning about operating agreements and things like that, and then we transitioned to talking about bankruptcy. If your operating agreement is set up properly, that can protect the individual in a lot of ways in a bankruptcy situation. Yeah, so it's the entity filing for bankruptcy. Correct. Mm. The owners of the entity are not in bankruptcy mm. when the entity files for bankruptcy. That's a really important point uh, that I maybe should have highlighted earlier, right? So there's a couple things about that. First of all, you're you're not in bankruptcy, so you don't personally have liability, which is a good thing for you right. generally, unless you gave a guarantee or you did. You do have right. personal right. liability, right. Right? right? But assuming you don't, then you, if it's just the company's debts, you don't have personal liability, mm -hmm. right? Um, <clears throat> so that's a big that's a big point. Um, but you also don't, the, the owners do not have the protections of bankruptcy once the company files. So if you did give a guarantee or you do have personal liability, those lawsuits don't stop. Like that, that liability is still there and they can still, you know, pursue rights against individuals um, if the entity files for bankruptcy. So what uh, I think uh, a lot of these, you know, the, the example of Kent and I, we Sean Faber, a, LLC. Let's be clear. <laughs> we have a thriving business, and we really want to open up another business in San Diego, mainly because I like going there. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to get a loan to open up a business there, and in order to get that loan, we're going to have to open up or put up a personal guarantee yep. to get that loan. Is that something that you would recommend or how would you recommend? Obviously, if you think it's worthwhile and that's a business decision and all that, but is there anything different or any advice you can give on the small business owner like us that has to open up that personal guarantee that it may or may not work out and how to handle that? Um, so so it is it is a business decision that it that I mean, it's very common. I'll say that, right? Like people get personal guarantees on on deals often. Um, and there's obviously some risk involved there, right? Because you're personally on the hook. Uh, so, you know, if the entity were to file for bankruptcy, like I said, you don't get those protections unless you also personally file for bankruptcy. Mm. Then you get bankruptcy protections, but you don't for just the, the company filing. Um, there are certain things you can do as far as uh, asset protection before you give a personal guarantee. Um those are things you need to talk to either uh, a lawyer or an estate planner about usually. Um, and I will say, you know, you can't take a lot of those actions after you've incurred the liability because that is a fraudulent transfer usually. <laughs> so you can't, you can't just trans, you can't, once you have liability and you're facing liability, you know, under the, under the law, you, you can't just like transfer your stuff to a trust or something like that, that, can often be clawed back in litigation. So, mm -hmm. um, so 
so I'm talking about front end planning, you yeah. know, like before you give those sorts of commitments. But that's an important point. Like so anything it, yeah. that happens once that thing happens, they can always go back to wherever, you know, even if it takes 10 years, if you transferred it 10 years ago, they'll go back 10 years and call it back. Yeah. Now, now I will say that um, what can happen in a lot of cases where, you know, owners have given guarantees and the entity files for bankruptcy is if you are able to cut, a, if you are able to cut a deal, if you're able to um, negotiate a settlement with, let's say your largest creditor who has that guarantee in the bankruptcy case, sometimes you can negotiate a global settlement that will benefit the guarantors. It can happen. Hmm. Um, it's not, uh, it's not certain, right? Mm, it's right. just, it's just, if you can get that deal, if you can negotiate it and you know, uh, it makes sense to everybody involved. Um, but that is something that, you know, some owners try to do. Yep. And I, I mean, I, I know people like that are doing like a sole proprietorship out of their house, you know, surveyors, for example, um, and they'll take out a loan against their house to purchase equipment and purchase this and purchase that. Is that a, a good idea? It's just, it's a business risk, really. You know, it's a risk. I mean, it's I mean, just it's, a risk. Yeah. Like, it's just like any other business decision, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for small business owners, oftentimes those types of business decisions are really tied up with their personal finances yep. and their personal life decisions, like owning a house, right? So, um, but I think maybe the point is if you make that business decision and it doesn't go as you thought, there are more options than it didn't work out. I have to give up my house. Is yeah, that the, is that's, that the, that's absolutely true. Yeah, that is absolutely. And I think some of the hesitancy is, oh man. I, I think this is going to work out and I'm going to put up my, my house as a personal guarantee. It doesn't work out. That doesn't mean we're living in the holiday Inn tomorrow. Thank God. And Sean Faber, LLC, he put up his house. Yes. It wasn't me. But it's we that are living in the Holiday Inn together. <laughs> yeah, because your house is going on the market to cover. Hey, oh, yeah. The Holiday Inn, buddy. <laughs> oh, God. So funny. All right. So, so, so switching gears so, just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Is there a mantra that you live by? Yeah. Um, uh, put down your phone and go outside when you have the free time to do it. Ah. Oh. I love that. I love that. Absolutely it, love it. Here's a great example. I mean, I, I mentioned it on our, on our last podcast. I started going to this place where we do, uh, I say we, it's an individual sport, uh, cold plunges. Mm. And it's kind of like this uh, uh, circuit of things, <laughs> of items that you do. You know, there's like sport? a- Sport? You said sport? It's a sport. He also thinks curling's a sport, too. So. Well, I'll give curling. Curling but, is uh, without a doubt a sport. <laughs> no, cold plunge is not a sport. It's it, kind it, of a sport. It, it's, an, it, it's an individual exercise. Activity. It's an individual sport. It's like golf. So, but the, like in this <laughs> thing, it's like, you know, it's like there's a compression thing. There's this, there's that. And I see these people and they're on their phones. I'm like, how are you getting full benefit of what we're doing right now when you're sitting around your phone? It's like, just... Just take advantage of the situation. You and know? it's hard to do, yeah. right? We're all yeah. constantly, I mean, Ugh, our, your, your work is on your phone. So it's, it's just, it's 24 seven, right? So it's, mm. uh, I, I find it's uh, yep. beneficial. Yeah. Love and it. You're, you're a big traveler, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, we, my wife and I were pre-COVID and then COVID happened and then oh. now we have two little kids. So, uh, you have COVID kids. So we'll, yeah, one of them is fully COVID kid and the <laughs> other was just prior. So <laughs> might as well be, um, it's awesome. So, you know, we'll get back to that. All right. Anything else? Anything else you want to touch on? You want to get out there? I think, I think that's it. It was awesome, man. I love the, Thanks for I love the conversation. Me. This was really great. It was great. Yep. 
All right, there you have it, folks. Adding value and making friends. That's what we do here at the Geoholics. Thanks to our loyal friends of the program, just like Diamondback Land Surveying for believing in us. Be sure to mention you're a Geoholic when you reach out to any of our friends of the program for the aforesaid VIP treatment. Download the new and improved Geoholics app from LandSurveyorsUnited.com. Completely up to date. Uh, send us an email at info at thegeoholics.com if you have any content ideas or would like to be a guest on a future show. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, last but not least, pay it forward. Add value, make friends. The Decemberist, down by the water, available <laughs> everywhere. Until next time, everyone. If you're not happy, don't let it fester. Freaking deal with it. And most importantly, be safe and healthy, everyone. Thank you to our 2022 friends of the program, Advanced Geodetic Survey, AGSGPS.com, Airworks, airworks.io, Bad Elf, bad-elf.com, Cyanic Automation, getjobbook.com, Diamondback Land Surveying, diamondbacklandsurveying.com, Extreme Aerial Productions, extremearialproductions.com, Get Kids Into Survey, getkidsintosurvey.com. Mentoring Mondays, mentoringmondays.xyz. Monson Engineering, monsonengineering.com. Nettleman LC Prep, lcprep.com. North Star Surveying, northstarsurveying.com. ProStar Corporation, prostarcorp.com. Safety Apparel, safetyapparel.us. Topodot, new.certainty3d.com. And finally, Trimble Geospatial, geospatial.trimble.com.